Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter, in the book of Revelation. It's been a lot of fun looking at the book of Revelation so far. Uh, we've gotten through the real vast majority of it. Last time, uh, it was chapter 18, a pretty unique chapter, just the the repetition of all the different all the different groups of people wailing and, and woeing uh, over the city of Babylon, um, using all kinds of that metaphorical language, as we said, uh, for a lot of ways, the apostasy of Jerusalem. And now in chapter 19, it goes to this rejoicing. You've got refrains of hallelujah. So this isn't the, the, the woe and the wail. Uh, this is the praise. And, and this is where you get the rider on the white horse. So not the four horsemen of the apocalypse um, that we were seeing before way early on, but now the white rider with the armies who defeats the beast and the false prophet and all the rest. Okay, what is this? What is this big battle here? So that's what we're looking at today. Very exciting uh, to be looking at this in Revelation 19 today. And joining us as our guest, we've got Pastor Chris Mathis, pastor at Epiphany Lutheran Church in Castle Rock, Colorado. Good morning, Chris. Good to have you back with us. How are you guys doing in Castle Rock? Good morning, AJ. Good morning, We're AJ. doing well doing in Castle Rock. Summer is in the air, and, uh, and, and things are looking beautiful here, so... Awesome. Um, and uh, I guess, do you guys, I know we were talking a little bit about this uh, this week. Do you guys have any um, end date in sight out there in Castle Rock in terms of kind of being able to sort of go back to normal, or is it still just uh, very up in the air? It's, uh, it's fairly up in the air, although we will not be able to have regular uh, services in, in in-person gatherings through the end of May at least. Okay. Yeah, it, it sounds like it's similar to what we have going out here in um, California. But, you know, I mean, we're we're praying that we can uh, figure something out anyway. But until then, we're very grateful for KFUO and our ability to to still be together in the word um, and in prayer. So looking at Revelation 19, it's a great chapter because you've got this vision of, you know, hallelujah and and victory which I, I feel like this is something that we can relate to the original audience or relation here. Cause even though you look around, things don't really feel super victorious and glorious. Right. Um, this <laughs> is where the word comes, it's what comes to us. Right. And it encourages us cause it helps us to see with the eyes of faith, the, the glory and the victory that do belong to us, even despite appearances. That's right. And we can have hope in our present situations, knowing that Christ conquers all in the end. Amen. Amen. Well, let's turn to the text. As we do so, brother, would you say a prayer for us and for everyone listening along and uh, for everybody out there? Certainly. Thank you. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we love you and praise you, and we give thanks for this beautiful day. Lord, we pray that in the midst of our uh, trials and turmoil, we would be able to sing uh, hallelujah and shout it, not only as our stir acclamation, but as our joyful exaltation, praising the God who died and rose again for us. Lord, we ask that you would bless our time in the Word today, that your Word would be an encouragement to us, that the, the sword from the mouth of Jesus would be uh, our weapon and our, our great joy 
And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Um, let me see here. Let's go ahead and turn to the text. We've got chapter 19. Let's go ahead and read the whole thing through. It's a little bit of a long chapter, but uh, I mean, it really is, as we've been seeing, really important to get, get the whole view of these things. A lot of pieces that you have to fit together. So we'll go through it once just to kind of get it all on the table, and then we can come back, circle around, and uh, really focus on uh, these these first verses where you got this this multitude from heaven. So, but first, the whole thing through Revelation chapter 19 in the English Standard Version. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds 
or gorged with their flesh. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, it's like one of those um, endings where it's uh, you just want to say, and this is the gospel of the Lord, you know, and, and like, pray be to God. Okay. Yeah, there, there's an ending right there. Uh, you know, fire, lake of fire, sulfur, um, the rest were slain by the sword. So, I mean, uh, just, just kind of you're looking at the chapter as a whole, I, I feel like it feels obvious that the white rider has got to be the Lord Jesus. All the descriptions, I mean, who else had a sword coming out of his mouth, right? Um, so it, it feels mm -hmm. like this is where Jesus finally shows up in glory to do battle. Um, but we got to figure out how does all this fit with what we've seen before. And, that, and to do that, we got to look at how this chapter begins. It starts off with this voice of a great multitude in heaven. So how is that following chapter 18, this voice that's, uh, you know, I mean, the, the first word out of their mouths is literally, Hallelujah. Right. Well, it's right. it's a well, total, it's a total uh, <clears throat> change of key, and uh, from the laments that rang out in chapter 18, all of these laments over and over for um, Babylon by the merchants and the shipmasters and uh, the kings and all these people, and now uh, we shift from that that minor key to this triumphant major key in which, you know, all the uh, stops are pulled out on the organ and the Jimbelsterns start tinkling. And um, this is this is the joyful cry of God's people. Um, chapter 19 is really the answer to that question of the martyrs under the altar earlier in the book when they said, how long, O Lord, how long until you avenge our blood upon the earth? And this is where he does it. <laughs> and so they're joyful about that. Um, joyful that, uh, our, that God comes to save them, that Jesus is coming to, to reign and put a final end to his enemies. This is the answer, this chapter is the answer to all of the imprecatory psalms. Um, and so uh, it's, it's just a total, the hallelujah is, uh, is, is, is jarring to the servants of Satan um, but this is what we've been waiting to sing our entire lives. Right. And, I mean, it's um, in a lot of ways, it makes it makes perfect sense following chapter 18 that you, you've got all the I mean, those those different voices, right? The, the, the allies of Babylon, the the ones who, you know, are making money with Babylon. Right. And mm -hmm. and now mm -hmm. you, you've got the people, as you were saying, who have been have been slain by Babylon, the people, you know, who have been oppressed by Babylon. And so seeing Babylon fall is, is only an answered prayer. So this feels a lot like the situation in Isaiah where, you know, I mean, this is this is what God's people were praying for, right? Back then, they, you know, God's people were in exile. You know, we couldn't go back to Judea. We couldn't go. I mean, the temple was destroyed. There was no temple to go back to at the time. But, you know, that that was the prayer pretty much like, you know, that God would, would do something, would would vindicate his people. And, and the prayer was answered through Cyrus of Persia, right? I mean, God sends Correct. Uh, this Correct. this pagan emperor um, to do his will, calls him his Messiah. And and he comes, Cyrus, and he, he I mean, he's, he defeats the Babylonians handily. And because of that, the people of God get to go back home. So this is, this is interesting then to con compare this situation and then try to figure out okay on on the kind of level one local level 
what is all this stuff referring to? Because I mean, you know, so right after we get right after we had this part with Alleluia, you know, the the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. This sounds, I, I think, very much like the destruction, like we said, of, of apostate Jerusalem. That this was mm -hmm. God's judgment on the the city of Jerusalem insofar as it was oppressing the saints. So it martyred, um, you know, I mean, just think of like those first martyrs, you know, I mean, of course, there was the Lord Jesus who was executed at the hands of the, the Romans and the, the, the high priest at the time. You had, um, you had Stephen, the first, the first deacon, right, um, who was martyred. You had um, St. James who was there martyred in the city of Jerusalem. So it, it seems like on the one hand, this, this is the answered prayer of God's people at that time. But I don't know all this stuff about the marriage feast of the Lamb and His Kingdom. Like that's what we're still waiting for, right? So I mean, it's a little bit of a a question mark as to is this in the past, like way back, to, like you know, almost two thousand years ago, or is it in the future? The the timeline is always difficult in Revelation because a lot like the Old Testament prophets, time sort of telescopes. Um, and, and there's also the, the now-not-yet-reality running through a lot of these things. Um, even in uh, Jesus' mini-apocalypse in Mark 13, where he foretells the fall of Jerusalem, he shifts then to the end of time, uh, beyond 70 A.D., and it's like just one verse later, and there's a shift, and it's hard to keep, hard to keep up with it, um, skipping through time like that. Um, I, to be honest, I, I don't know if we can be certain of, of uh, how much of this is past and how much of it is still uh, future. I tend to view this as being uh, a picture almost of the very end of time. We know, for example, from First uh, Thessalonians and other places, First Thessalonians 4 and other places, that when Christ returns on the clouds, the saints will come with him and so later on in the chapter, when Jesus comes on the white horse, we see uh, the other people of God uh, riding on white horses as well. And uh, um, this may be uh, kind of a picture of, of, of the king returning with um, his contingent, um, his cohort, on, on that final day after he raises us from the dead. Of course, that... The resurrection picture doesn't really happen until chapter 20. So, um, but those are some of the thoughts going through my head. I don't have a, a super firm answer for you. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, no. And, and I think that's, that's fair. We've been seeing throughout revelation that, you know, even when you have things that uh, on, on the one hand seem to be situated in like a particular historical context the the patterns seem to repeat themselves right and we were talking about mm -hmm. that when it came to e even uh, babylon right how on one level that seems to refer to jerusalem uh, as it was um, martyring the saints and uh, oppressing um, the christian church and the rest of it right um but also you know uh, we, we had one of our callers come in and say hey well how about you know how about the uh, the papacy during the times of the reformation and you're like well yeah, you know, you can you can see that how that that also mm -hmm. works, and mm -hmm. and of course we can draw analogies even um, to our own time. So these these patterns seem to repeat themselves in a way. So uh, on the one hand, I feel like of course you know we look at this language and we see how all of this uh, might apply to the, our present or even our future. Um, 
but I, I do think there is a level where this can make a lot of sense on the past as well. Um, you, you know, it, it's it's hard to. Well, let's go ahead. Actually, let's let's stay anchor here to the text. I don't want to pass over. There's this little episode that we read towards the beginning. Still, so you've you've got the you've got the voices, um, and and they're talking about how the how the bride is is clothed, and, and there's this scene with the angel about whether he should worship the angel or not. And I do want to get mm-hmm. back to that, but I, I feel like we just have to kind of situate ourselves first. So, when you're looking at this army, right, that that the white writer who's introduced here is coming in and we and we just like we were saying like it just seems like it's got to be jesus here right what historical event could this be referring to if it's talking about you know yeah you know he will tread the wine press of the fury of the wrath of god the almighty and he's gonna come and you know i mean it's a gruesome picture right that the birds are, are being summoned to come and eat the flesh of of this army that's being vanquished right and and he goes and he vanquishes the beast and he vanquishes the false prophet i mean when in history does that happen if there was going to be a past fulfillment i mean i have some the, ideas the but cross in the empty tomb okay sure so like uh, tell me more about that so so on the cross jesus uh d- destroyed the power of of sin death and the devil by his death and by his rising again was his vindication um and also, um, of course, his, his glorification. It's interesting, though, that in John's Gospel, who, of course, also wrote this revelation, the Apocalypse, the one who beholds this vision, the glorification of Jesus actually comes on the cross, um, that, that we see Christ in his glory as he uh, is crowned, and his purple robe, his kingly robe is is uh, being gambled for beneath. And there's Jesus in all of his glory, uh, accomplishing the will of the Father for us. And um, another, it's hard, though, not to read this passage and also think of the Incarnation, which I know is not, the Incarnation seems almost more... um, subversive of the order it's not coming in uh that's not riding on a white horse and 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 with all the um raiment but of course in in john chapter one we're told over and over that jesus is the word and that's what he's called here um so it 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 for me it i was going to say it conjures that's probably not a good term it alludes to many events in jesus life yeah, I think I think that's helpful to to review some of this stuff because we, we have been seeing different connections um, to the events of our Lord's life throughout the Book of Revelation, and I think that you know, as as you were just talking about, you know, um, the incarnation and our Lord's um, you know passion, you know that that takes us, I think, back to uh, chapter twelve, right, where mm-hmm. where it said, you know, and a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun. Okay, hang on, so there's another uh, woman who's clothed beautifully we just had that idea mentioned right the bride um mm-hmm. who's who's clothed in, in pure white um in in chapter uh, 19 like we just read so there's a connection right 
Um, and then it says here, right, she was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. And on his head, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them down to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, she might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared for God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. And then right after that, you get the comment, you know, now war arose in heaven and the dragon was defeated and thrown down. So there does seem to be, uh, I mean, some kind of really strong connection, I think, between chapter 12 here and chapter 19. And, and like you were saying here, bringing up the Lord's um, incarnation and his, uh, you know, passion and, and ascension. Well, I mean, that, that seems to be what chapter 12 was talking about, right? That when, when the Lord was um, born, you know, that's the, that's the, the male child, right? In chapter 12, right. Um, right. being born, the dragon wants to devour it, tries to, right? But is caught up to God. I think we take that as his death, resurrection and ascension um yep. and then yep. with that ascension we talked about that right that that's that's the dragon then getting thrown down being defeated so there there does seem to be some i mean a, a pretty strong tie between what we just read in 19 and then this back here in chapter 12 yes and uh especially if uh you know the the especially when we understand sort of the duality of the woman being both Mary, perhaps, you know, the mother of our Lord, but also um, the church, the people of God. And, um, and, and that child is, is, is clearly and obviously Jesus. The dragon back there reminds me also of Herod when he tries to kill the, all the boys of, Beth, of Bethlehem. Um, but, but yeah, so, but, but, but it, so it's, but for me, I, when I read chapter 19, it's, it's hard for me to know, um, as I said before, the timeline is still not clear to me. So maybe you can help me understand it better. <laughs> well, here's, here's just me, like how, how my, my take on it for, for right now anyway, um, so, you know, we had that back in chapter 12, and, and I feel like that just really clearly and unambiguously refers to our Lord's, you know, incarnation, passion, and ascension. So if we're to understand that the dragon, um, you know, is, you know, stirring up trouble, right, you know, influencing Herod uh, to try to, you know, uh, assassinate the Lord Jesus, right, in his infancy and all the rest, but that the dragon is defeated um, ultimately in the ascension of the Lord Jesus. Okay, if that's what's going on there, um, then I, I think then that helps us to understand what might be going on with the timeline in chapter 19. Because I'm thinking then that, okay, so if all that was going on back in chapter 12, then chapter 19 refers to a later event. And what we would think that this would refer to something that, you know, uh, occurs after the fall of Babylon, aka apostate Jerusalem. So um, so what, what might be going on there? Well, here's the thing that I think of. Uh, I think that maybe the key, one of the key connection in verses for me is it says, he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And, and that winepress, this is not the first time we've heard of that either. 
Um, there was a connection uh, just to the previous chapter. I believe that was, um, no, no, it was actually one of the following ones. The wine press was back there in chapter, uh, it was in chapter, that's right, 14, where we had the wine press of God. And I think that that wine press can help us out here. But let's okay. hold that thought. Okay. We got to take our break. But everybody, hang on. We're looking at Revelation chapter 19 today here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. I'm Gary Duncan. The COVID-19 pandemic is affecting our routines, vocation, and worship. Recently, you received a mailing about our annual share fundraising event. However, during this unprecedented time, KFUO Radio is postponing our on-air portion of share until June 25th through the 27th. Gifts can still be made through the mail and online, plus those gifts will be matched by this year's matching fund. I know times are tough, but when you are able to bless our ministry, please do so. Opportunities to share the hope that is ours through Jesus Christ increase at times like this. And as a partner, you provide for those in our neighborhoods and around the world to hear the gospel message through KFUO Radio. I pray for you and your safety, and I ask for you to pray for KFUO, our staff, and volunteers during this difficult time. And again, our plans are to move the broadcast dates of our on-air share until June 25th through the 20th. Thank you for listening and supporting KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Have you ever wondered if your investments could do more? I mean, a whole lot more? This is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. When you invest with us, you not only earn a competitive interest rate, but your investment goes to strengthen Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations through low-cost loans and services. To learn more, visit lcef.org backslash invest101. Hi, I'm Pastor Ted Lesh, pastor at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in North St. Louis County, inviting you to listen to our KFUO radio worship broadcasts on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. Active worship, preaching, music, and singing are part of every one of our services at Chapel. Join us Sunday nights at 6. It's one more broadcast worship opportunity for you from your friends at Chapel of the Cross and KFUO radio. This week in Christian churches around the world, the image of a good shepherd is front and center in worship. That will be true also on Sing for Joy this week. For music of both comfort and joy, join us. Sundays at noon on KFUO, the messenger of good news. For years on Sunday mornings, Worldwide KFUO has been broadcasting live worship services for those unable to attend worship or for those who enjoy hearing God's Word. This Sunday, our 8.15 a.m. worship comes from Ascension Lutheran Church in St. Louis, Missouri with presiding pastor Reverend Matt Clark. Our 10.45 worship comes from Hope Lutheran Church in St. Anne, Missouri with presiding pastor Reverend Timothy Ostermeyer. Join us on Sunday mornings on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. 
In this season of life, when everything seems to be constantly changing, one thing remains the same, the promises of God given to us in the Word of Christ. I'm Sarah Golseth, a digital media specialist for KFUO Radio, here at home in my spare room, to remind you all the ways you can hear the Word of Christ on KFUO Radio from wherever you call home. Our daily broadcast at KFUO.org includes talk programs, sacred music, daily chapel services, weekend worship services, and Bible studies. Our on-demand library includes many of our broadcast programs, in addition to podcasts from LCM partners. You and your family can stream KFUO Radio at KFUO.org or on the TuneIn app. You can even ask your smart speaker to play KFUO Radio. You can also pull up your favorite podcast app and search for KFUO Radio to find all of our available podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest updates as well as daily Bible verses and hymns. We are KFUO Radio, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere at KFUO.org. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance, inviting you to tune in this weekend at 7.45 a.m. Central, when I'm going to be sharing thoughts with you about Jesus feeding the 5,000 miraculously. So how does that miracle, accomplished with five barley loaves and two fish, apply to your life and mine today? And I expect a miracle like that? Join me this Saturday and Sunday morning for Moments of Assurance weekend right here on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. The Lutheran confessions say that the Holy Spirit uses the written law for instruction of the Christian. What does this mean? Thursday on Issues Etc. will continue our series on the Lutheran confessions, talking with Pastor Paul McCain about the third use of the law in the solid declaration of the formula of Concord. Issues Etc. Live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. everybody to thy strong word i'm pastor aj espinosa we're looking at revelation chapter 19 today just trying to talk about th- this white rider that you see come in with the army of white uh right horses behind him right and so there's this great military victory this big battle um you know and when when would this have happened in history we've seen so much of revelation has been things that have happened um in the past potentially but, you know, where can you make the connection here? That's what we were talking about with our guest today, Pastor Chris Mathis, pastor at Epiphany Lutheran Church in Castle Rock, Colorado. If you have a question uh, for me or Pastor Mathis, do uh, let us know. Today, we don't have the phone numbers available, but you can send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. Shoot us an email, and the helpful people at KFUO will get that passed along to us if you have a question as we're looking here at Revelation chapter 19. Also want to thank, speaking of helpful people, uh, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. There are underwriters. You can check out their website at lhfmissions.org. So we were just talking about this. Okay, what, what might be going on here? And I was suggesting that, well, if you look back at Revelation chapter 14, where you had this, uh, we, we saw this before, this, this big, uh, outpouring of blood and it was coming it said there from this wine press it was back there in in chapter 14 and we had that description there 
that the angel swung, this is uh, verse 19, the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. So almost exactly uh, the same phrasing. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1600 stadium. And we saw um, back in, in chapter 14 how 1600 stadia is the distance between the city of Jerusalem to its to the furthest border of Judea. So we were suggesting at the time that that wine press is actually basically referring to the army of Titus, which set up uh, a base right outside the city of Jerusalem as they did that about seven-month siege in AD 70. Uh, then finally they, they broke the siege and the, the whole of Jerusalem and the whole land was... Uh, consumed in violence there. So if we're to make that connection, I think what we could say is that John here, through this vision given to him by the Lord Jesus, is seeing Jesus there in the army of Titus, which I, I know it's like, you know, hang on, what? But that's that's the bad the bad guys. That's the Romans, right? Well, but again, if we make the comparison like we were saying earlier, to the time of Isaiah, right, uh, where the people of God were in exile in Babylon, and then you had the, you know, oh, hey, it's the bad Persians, right? They're, they're pagans, they, they do all kinds of terrible things, but, I mean, hey, Isaiah saw God that in that, in the Persians, in Cyrus. He called Cyrus, you know, the Lord's anointed Messiah. So I don't think it's actually too much of a stretch to say that there you have Titus, uh, the Roman general, there as an agent of God who is meeting out destruction on this corrupt and fallen Jerusalem. So that, that's where my mind goes. I see that wine press language there. I, I see this army and I'm thinking this is actually God, the Lord of hosts, just like he did in Isaiah, using the armies of the earth like his own army. What, what, what are your thoughts, Chris? What, I mean, I'm just kind of throwing stuff out at you here, but uh, just... Yeah. Wow, that's that's for me. That's kind of kind of mind blowing. So um, I don't uh, I don't know. It's very interesting to. Uh, I mean, the, the comparison between Cyrus and Titus um, certainly is. Um, God God has used pagan rulers to even Nebuchadnezzar he used to accomplish his purposes. That's right. Um and he uses uh he uses unbelievers to as his servants and ministers to punish the wicked and reward those who do good even today. Uh kind of a Romans thirteen idea. So um yeah, I, I think that I, I I probably need more time to think about that, but wow is my initial <laughs> um reaction to that. Well, you know, I'll take wow over, over like, you know, W O E woe. Um, so that, that's, that's, that's <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think, I think your point though, like that, that it's consistent with the old Testament. I mean, I think that's, that's how I want to try to read revelation that there's this consistency with the old Testament. Cause we've seen, it draws a lot on Daniel. I mean, just a description of like the beast, right. With uh, all the horns and the diadems. I mean, that's, that's straight out of, that's straight out of Daniel. Right. Um, I mean, the, a lot of the language we've seen, is very similar to that of Ezekiel, right? And what do you see in, in Ezekiel? Well, I mean, you've got God's presence leaving the temple, 
right? And it needs to be destroyed in judgment, right? Um, and what and what do you see in Daniel, right? Again, like you were saying, God using um, you know these these pagan kings, even Nebuchadnezzar, for His own purposes. So uh, the idea of God using foreign rulers as His agents of judgment. That's that's just what you see again and again in the prophets of the Old Testament. So I, I feel like it makes actually like a lot of sense here in, in Revelation. I'm going to throw out a couple of things more, I think, that um, that fit with this. We see here, it says in verse 20, And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. Okay. I think that if you line that up with, um, you know, AD 69, AD 70, um, mm-hmm. that, that actually lines up really nicely because we talked about this here. Um, who's the false prophet? Well, I mean, that's kind of a part of the, the land beast that we saw earlier, the, uh, the spiritual influence we said there in the land of Judea. So who's the false prophet? I, I feel like that pretty transparently actually refers to the high priest. Okay. Um, and we had the, and we had the high priest, the office of the high priesthood, um, from the time of uh, Herod onwards. I mean, I mean the first the first high priest, right? Um, who was uh, Ananias or Annas, right? Who was one of the high priests who, uh, you know, was there at the Lord's trial, right? He was appointed by the Romans. Um, right. I, I he think wasn't every, I, the proper right. successor. No, no, no. It was it was a in a sense it was a Roman priesthood. And the thing was about this guy, uh, he basically controlled the priesthood his entire life because pra- practically it, it's, it's crazy. It seemed like half of the high priests that followed him for the next several decades were basically either all sons or sons-in-law of this guy. You know, I mean, all the way down to the high priest who uh, I think he was in AD 63, um, who was had the same name actually as um, Annas or Ananias, Ben Ananias, his son, right? Um, who was the one who, just the way that his father had uh, ordered the execution of the Lord Jesus, had executed uh, the first bishop of Jerusalem, James the Just. So this this guy, right, is kind of like this this figure who seems to have kind of just, it's like he kind of represents this, this false priesthood at the time. And um, who else dies, right? Um, in the in the capture and destruction of Jerusalem, well, the the last high priest. There are no more high priests after him. Josephus names them all, and with the destruction of the temple, uh, which which had been corrupted, also you have this corrupt high priesthood, which is also destroyed. So you've got I mean, you got these two things, right? The, the corrupt uh, Babylon, Jerusalem, right? The corrupt temple, the, this corrupt fal- false prophet, false priesthood. Uh, we see this uh, very clearly in Hebrews that it's the Lord Jesus who is our true priest, our true high priest. It's the Lord Jesus who's in the heavenly Jerusalem, which is yeah. our home, as Paul says. And, and so I, I feel like all of this is connecting with the rest of our theology here, that you see this as an act of God and righteous judgment. And as terrible as it was, we can still rejoice and even say hallelujah, because we still have a high priest and a heavenly temple and a city in heaven. Yeah. The one that's not made with hands. And, right. uh, and, and, and Jesus, of course, in his uh, mini apocalypse had warned his disciples of the signs of when Jerusalem's fall would come and told them to run for the hills. Yep. Um, and make haste. 
so the the church was pro- largely protected from that destruction. That, that That's right. And I think that taking what the Lord said seriously, you know, when he looked around and said, I tell you the truth, not one stone will be left standing on top of another— I mean, all of that, all that language, right, of, of John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus himself, that, that all comes true not even 40 years later, right, which is the standard reckoning of a generation. I mean, he said it himself, with, within a generation, this is all going to happen, and literally within a generation, it all happens. Um, and, and I think that, that what John is trying to tell us here is that, you know, when, when the Lord Jesus says, you'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds— you know, it, it, he he does it right. I mean, it, it's you you only see it with the eyes of faith here, um, in Revelation chapter nineteen, right? Because you have to somehow see the Lord Jesus behind Titus, the Roman general, right? But but there he is. If you're given the eyes to see it, you see uh, Jesus is making good on his promise and and tearing down the temple, um, in some ways, like he started uh, almost forty years ago, um. The, the other side to this, then, I, I know somebody's somebody's got to be asking themselves, okay, now hang on a second. That all makes sense, sort of, except how about the beast? It says in verse 20 that the beast was captured. So how does that make any sense, that the beast was captured? Well, I mean, we, we saw this already. The beast seems to have this very strong connection to, how I'm going to put it right now, um, the Julian dynasty, the, the Caesars, right? Those guys mm-hmm. who... Um, came from Julius Caesar's uh, Julius Caesar and went on through um, Augustus, Tiberius, Claudius, Caligula, and uh, then Nero, most infamously. Right? And we already saw the connection to Nero back with six 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 or six one six. How either way that that spells the guy's name. Right. Well, well, it's fascinating, right? Nero, he there's a revolt on his hands. Um, you get Galba who follows him up who's seen in many, by many as a usurper. Well, what happens after after Galba? Well, you get these two guys who don't even last, uh, I mean, like more than a year, basically, right? Um, you get you get Otho, and then you get uh, Vitellius. And what's fascinating about these guys is is they're, they're, they're crowned Caesar, and the crowds are shouting, Nero, Nero, Nero. They see these guys as, as, as Nero's. I mean, they actually, mm. if you look at their names, they, they take Nero's names. Um, Otho was called Nero. People said that he looked just like him. Um, uh, Vitellius, even, he took the name Germanicus, which was um, one of Nero's names. Um, he continued this, this worship of, of Nero. They offered sacrifices. They had these big feasts and festivals, all in his name and honor. So these guys were just continuing um, that line, they were just continuing that line of, of these, uh, you know, these Caesars who went from Julius Caesar on to Nero. But this line was cut off and destroyed in Vespasian, Titus's father, because he was recalled from Judea. He goes up to Rome with his armies. I mean, he has a couple of legions who are loyal to him. Um, and he goes up there to Rome and he takes it. So, I mean, this is really something because you got this two-pronged attack. It's like, here's Vespasian going up to Rome, and he captures the beast. No more line of Julius Caesar. No more Nero people. That That is done. New dynasty, the Flavian dynasty, comes out. And then simultaneously, right, Fla- uh, you know, you've got Vespasian who's like, hey, son, Titus, uh, you, you take care of things here in Jerusalem. And so Vespasian goes north, takes care of the beast, his, he sends his son Titus 
to go uh, down south and take care of the false prophet. Both are taken care of inside of a year. All this happens um, like mid AD 69 um, to like mid AD 70. All this happens basically in the span of one year. And I, and I feel like it's not any stretch at all the way all this stuff lines up to basically hear John saying, hey, look, guys, all the stuff that happened, that was God at work. God's in control of all the happenings of Earth. God's in control of all the armies, all the nations, all the principalities. No one pulls one over on him. He is the one behind everything. Yeah, he, 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 like, just like with Jeremiah, to plant and uproot kingdoms, right? So, right. um, yeah, the, the, your mention of how quickly it happens in less than a year's time, it's, it rem- makes me think of that single hour refrain from chapter 18. Yep. All of it happened in a single hour, your judgment has come. In a single hour, the wealth has been laid waste. Um, yep. That repetition. Yeah, no, that's right. I, I think in a single hour, um, basically, it's just proxy for a year um, mm-hmm. in, in Revelation chapter 18 as a way of speaking here. And and so that idea that, you know, in, in, in a year, right, because the siege did not last that, that long. I mean, the siege itself, I mean, they didn't last seven months um, when Titus showed up and set up his base. Um, so, yeah, it, w- it was in about the span of a year. I think it was actually less than that. From the time that Vespasian was actually declared Caesar by the Senate, I think that was in AD 69, um, like in November, to Titus's uh, just absolute victory over Jerusalem and the temple. I think that was actually just about one year um, or maybe slightly less than that. I mean, so, I mean, that's just, it, it's just so striking really because I just feel like it all lines up and okay, so, okay, it all lines up, right? But but what what's the point of that? Well, it's like we were saying, though, right? What, what it shows is that Jesus is the one who is king of kings, lord of lords, the true prophet, the true high priest, the true uh, intercessor in the heavenly temple in Jerusalem. Uh, I mean, th- this is what makes sense of our theology, because you've got then this letter sent to the seven churches of Asia Minor, right? And, you know, they're in Asia Minor, we know. Um, there was a lot of pressure to join in the imperial cult Cult. um Mm -hmm. it it was it was gonna it was gonna come back you know like there was gonna be under Domitian especially he was gonna be a big fan of that he was gonna say yeah you know you should burn sacrifices to me and worship me as a as a god he was he was gonna do some of the same sorts of stuff that these previous guys were doing and the temptation was to join in with that because there were benefits you know i mean like just i mean monetary benefits right it was you know government grants right for forgivable <laughs> loans, right? You know, I mean, just all you had to do, right? You know, I mean, so who says no to, to free money? Um, you know, but so, so they're under this pressure. But here, John sends them this vision and says, hey, look, guys, God is the one who is ruling, not Caesar. When, when all this stuff happened, right, that wasn't because you know, the Flavian dynasty is God. The Flavian dynasty is just a tool in God's hands, um, this was all just a part of um, his work. Jesus is the Lord of Lords, and he saw you through the persecutions of Nero. He'll see you through the persecutions of Domitian also. You know, and so th- this really speaks, I think, to them, the people who received the letter as a message of comfort, that they would understand yes. the supremacy and the lordship of Jesus. And it speaks to us how how we, in our own context, 
find ourselves under pressure to go along with the imperial cult in different ways. And and the message, it, it says it again and again and again, right? Um, in, in chapter 18, it was worded as, um, you know, come out from her, my people, lest you take uh, part in her sins and in her plagues, right? Um, and then, you know, in previous chapters, you know, um, you know, in chapter, what was it, chapter 16, right? Um, I'm coming like a thief, uh, blessed is the one who stays awake. Um, and, and then just again and again, the refrain, you know, um, stand firm. Um, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, right? Back in chapter 14, again and again and again, right? This is the message. Stand firm. Don't go along with the idea that Caesar is supreme. If if Jesus is Lord, then Caesar is not. Yeah, yeah that's right. And, uh, that's right. And, and when we take God out of our public square, we have to fill that with something else. And usually the government becomes people's God. Um, well, and that and that really, I think, fits well then to finally go back then uh, to that little episode in, in verse 9, where the angel is saying all of this about the marriage supper of the Lamb, um, and then John falls down to, it says, you know, worship him or you know, bow to him, but the angel says, don't do that. I'm just a fellow servant. Worship God, right? I mean, there is, again, the same message. You don't worship God anyone, not even an angel from heaven. Who does that sound like? That sounds like Paul, right? Uh, not even an angel mm. from heaven, only the God and Father of Jesus Christ. You know, so so I think that that really, that becomes key then, where this all fits in together. Um, and, and I think you're right, that uh, by default, you know, we, we just kind of focus on angels um, who are, you know, symbolic of rulers, like they are in Daniel. Right, like our government, our princes, the prince of Persia, and things. Like, yeah, yep. The and and not only that, but there was always a temptation to worship angels throughout the Old Testament. The God warned Israel not to do that in Deuteronomy chapter four, and then um, Manasseh actually erected altars to all the starry host of heaven, as it says in Second Chronicles. So, uh-huh. um, so so they. Uh, they, th- th- there's a, th- another Old Testament connection there with a historic snare that had to be right. avoided. Right, well, right, and and then think, just think about that though, right? The the contrast though, you know, worshiping you know angels or the starry hosts or the princes of this world on the one hand versus the woman who's uh, who looks like the sun, who has the moon and the twelve stars, right? The, the vision of the pride of Christ, right? On the other hand, you know, and so that that is quite the striking contrast. And that's what we're talking about here, the marriage feast. And so this, I believe, then, is key to understand that the marriage feast, yes, on the one hand, that is something that's going to happen in the future, at the end, at the resurrection of all flesh, you know, in the new heavens and the new earth. But it is also what's happening already now, you know, and that's and that's the, that's why we're so looking forward to getting out of this quarantine situation. Because I mean, that that's the church, that's communion, that's what this is right now. The church is, and we're going to see this in the next chapter. The church is uh, the thousand-year reign, the marriage feast of the Lamb. Those things in the present. This is our now and our not yet. I mean, we we have right. this now, and even despite appearances, Jesus is ruling over the church. 
the the dragon has been chained, the beast has been captured, and the lamb reigns in his kingdom, and the church, despite how terrible we look at times, is adorned in shining, pure, blessed white. Yes, and and strangely, um, surprisingly, here in in chapter eight, it's not the the robes that have been washed white and made clean in the blood of the lamb, like Revelation seventeen. But these are the the good the good works that God's people have done um, in faith. Um, right. In in Revelation um, fourteen, there was that you know mention about how um, the 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 good deeds of the saints follow them. That's right. Um, they don't precede them. <laughs> so your, right. your good deeds don't get you into heaven, but your good deeds do get into heaven. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, no, I mean, and this is what Paul says, right? If anything good comes out of us, right, it's Christ in us doing it. So yeah, because Jesus the Lord is risen and is alive, he's alive doing these good works, and it's like what you were saying, um, Jesus is the one who gets into heaven, because he ascended into heaven, so it's like he pulls yep. us up with him, um, but the works follow in that sense. So I, I think that's a nice way of kind of tying this chapter actually together as a close here, that, you know, th- this, this is the image, that the Lord Jesus reigns through all of this, through all these things, he is the one at work. So even when it seems like, oh, we did a good deed, it was him. When Even when it seems like, oh, it's like Titus of the Roman armies, it was behind him. If anything good happens in this world, our Lord Jesus is at work. Alleluia. Praise be to him. Thank you so much, brother, for joining us today. Thank I'm you. looking forward to having you on again soon. God bless you guys in Castle Rock, and may you soon be able to gather together. Thank you, AJ. You too. Everybody, that was Pastor Chris Mathis, pastor at Epiphany Lutheran Church in Castle Rock, Colorado. That'll do it for today. Moving on to Revelation chapter 20. Until then, I'm Pastor A.G. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.